encouraging one another. Now, <clears throat> it's so important, and as I mentioned before, the the uh, alelon is the word that we get one another from. It means one another of the same kind, and it is a, it's a word used over a hundred times. So it's not a minor topic that we find buried in Scripture somewhere. It's a major topic that we should uh, look at. And we look at the parkaleo words, and it's used more than any other uh, than any other word in the one another series. So it's used over a hundred times. So encouraging one another is important. Para kaleo, kaleo means to call, and para means alongside. So we're not out front, and sometimes I know spiritual leaders and stuff can get so out front of the flock that nobody knows where they are. They've kind of gone over the, the uh, it's kind of like a, some guy comes flying by at 120 miles an hour and you're doing 65 is not long till they're out of sight. Well, that can happen. And leaders are not supposed to be behind pushing. Usually whenever sheep are being pushed, it's to the slaughterhouse. Instead, we're supposed to be walking side by side with one another, and that's what encouraging one another is all about. Even leaders who have authority to do certain things or call people alongside, but in part because they want to they want to build other leaders. They want to build other people to take over whenever they whenever they have gone. And encouraging one another is a very important thing because when you meet with other people, you have the opportunity to have an eternal impact on them. Now, we don't want to go into meeting with other people, and we don't want to go in with the idea that I'm going to eternally impact you. That's the wrong kind of goal. But what we do is we become friends with people. We get to know one another. The body of Christ gets to know one another. And we get to, we get to share with one another and share one another's burdens and bear one another's burdens. We get to do those things. That builds very strong bonds so that we're walking along side by side. We pull this passage from Hebrews 10, verse 19 to 25, and it talks there uh, very clearly about um, the settings and what we are supposed to do. We have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, a new and living way which he inaugurated for us through the veil, that is his flesh. It says, And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a sincere heart and full assurance of faith. Say, do you have a full assurance of faith? We draw near knowing that we have been saved based not on what we did, but on what he did and his promises to keep us saved. He did the most for us while we were yet enemies. Save us. Won't he do that which is lesser, keep us saved, now that we're family? Well, it just makes sense that he would. He says, having our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds. Not forsaking our own assembling together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. I've seen people use not forsaking the assembling of themselves to the exclusion of encouraging one another. That somehow gets left out of the quotation of that verse more often than not. 
But he says we need to come together and encourage one another. And how do we do it? Through the Word of God, through studying the Word of God, through the fellowship that we have with, with one another, through praying for one another. And the, these are some of the ways that we encourage. Now, meeting together, some people can't make physically can't make the trip, and God understands that. He knows if, if somebody's just playing a game or not playing a game, he fully understands that some people just can't do it. But in this day and age, uh, in spite of all the stuff with social media and everything else, there's no reason we can't stay in touch with each other. There's no reason. We can, you know what the devil meant for evil? <laughs> Seems like Genesis 50:20 comes to play. Where Joseph was talking to his brothers and they said, now that daddy's gone, are you going to kill us? That was their question. He says, no, you meant it for evil. He called it out. God meant it for good. So no matter where their origins came from or what their motives are, we can use that. And presently we do. And God's word is going out electronically all over the world in places that we never even imagined before. It's getting into into uh, tribes and villages and places and things. It's, it's hard to even talk about it. Now, encouraging one another, we're at point G. Uh, so in point E, we need to remember we're, we are to encourage one another to approach God. Draw near to God and he'll draw near to you. And we've been through that and what that means and how to, how to go about doing that. And then we need to encourage one another to endure. Because there's sometimes that tests just don't go away. Have you noticed that? Poor old Job. Lost his family. The Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. That's Job 2. What do you find later on? All right, God, tell me what happened. I demand a hearing in the courtroom of God. So he, he started off really good. Because sometimes when we pass the test, don't we think, okay, God, take it away. I passed that. I don't need it anymore. And sometimes he says, I'm going to leave it for you. Why? Because that's what you need to grow with. And then that's chapter 2. Chapter 38. A whole lot of chapters in there. Mostly about Job's friends trying to help him out with worldly viewpoint. And Job trying to hang on to that which he believes is right. Job 19.25, I know my Redeemer lives. And at the last he shall take his stand on the earth. I mean, he's still got a good handle on it, doesn't he? But then he says, enough's enough, God. And then why does God answer? Oh, Job, I'm so sorry. That I had to do all this to you. <laughs> he said, Job, you, you, you poor guy. It was just a, it was a deal. I was trying to prove something in the angelic conflict. I was trying to do, and you were just the, the poor guy that drew the short straw. Is all it is. <laughs> and what did God say to him? Where were you, old man, when I laid out the heavens? And he started talking about, he is the sovereign. He is the king of kings. He is Lord over all things. And who do you think you are? Now that's good for any of us, isn't it? When we start thinking we're something, who do we really think we are? Now, <clears throat> Job eventually got his fortunes restored, a new family and all that stuff. But when he finally gave up on, on 
himself other than being his relationship to the Creator. He finally got what what should have been there all along, which was an amazing relationship. He knew all the right things, but it wasn't really real in his life in some regards. We need to encourage each other to hang on and to endure. Because sometimes that's just what we're going to run into. Lord, take this test from me. Didn't the Lord himself face that? Yet not my will, but your will be done. That's a big test for all of us in this life. Now point G is we need to consider how to stimulate one another to love. Now in the first point is to do this, we have to look at the log in our own eye. I know none of us have logs in our eyes. It's a big log. It's like a two-before log. It's not a little splinter. I heard Dr. Ryrie speak one time, and he was talking about this very verse. And he said, my, my dad used to remove those little speck of dirts that we get in our eye. And he said, how did he do it? He said, first he'd take out his handkerchief, <laughs> wrap the end of it around, sterilize it, put it in his mouth. <laughs> and he'd say, lean your head back. And then he would gently pick that speck out of my eye. That's how he did it. Well, he said, you got a log in there, Bubba. <laughs> it's not something hard to find, hard to see, or anything else. He says, why do you look at the speck that is in your brother's eye and don't notice the log that's in your own eye? Okay, if we want to call one another alongside, this really is talking about spirituality by comparison. Well, I'm a greater believer because. And then it basically is because I'm not them. Does that sound familiar? That sound like this 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 Pharisee saying, Oh, that man out there beating his breast and, and all that. And he was a... Uh, uh, crying to have mercy on me a sinner and the Pharisees going I'm sure glad I'm not like him and the Lord had a comment about that didn't he which one went his way justified that day Hmm. it's the one that called out for hope and for help and he said if we're going to try to help people was taught in bearing one another's burdens we need to look at ourselves first and realize we are still imperfect and we are still a mess, but that's the way we approach helping people. Not from a superior position, but from a position alongside as another fallen creature in, in God's world here. We have to consider the log on our own eye. If we can even consider nature, we can see God's provision and therefore do not seek anything but the kingdom of heaven. If we just take a look at nature, we can see things. This Luke 12 passage, you want to turn there with me if you would. There's another passage in Mark 6, along about verses 33 to 40, very similar to this. But here it is over in Luke 12. Luke 12 says, uh, 24, Consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap. They have no storeroom or barn, but God feeds them. I see the word raven and my wife goes, don't do it. Once upon a midnight dreary while I ponder. <laughs> I learned that in high school. I still can't get it out of my head. <laughs> anyway, here is the, uh, 
and yet God feeds them. How much more valuable are you than the birds? That's the question. And which of you being anxious can add a single cubit to his lifespan? Some people make it make it their life to live longer. Why don't we just live well? And if God gives us length of days, so be it. I was looking at George up here with that hair sticking up <laughs> on the front, and I'm thinking, what Kelvin and I wouldn't give for hair that we could put some gel in and make this thing stick up and look a little better. And then I got to thinking about, what about our resurrection body? Will I have hair? And so some of you all know what I'm talking about. I'm going, uh, I don't know. But I do know I won't care <laughs> if I got hair or not. But anyway, I just kind of, you know, my mind does weird stuff. And it says, if then you cannot do even a little thing, why are you anxious about other matters? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. But I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory did not clothe himself like one of these. But if God so arrays the grass in the field, and he's alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the furnace, how much more will he clothe you? O men of little faith. And do not seek what you shall eat, what you shall drink. Do not keep worrying. For all these things the nations of the world eagerly seek. But your Father knows you need these things. Seek first for his kingdom, and these things shall be added to you. Your food, shelter, and clothing. Get priorities in this life right. We can see God provide in multitude of ways, even by looking at nature. And then we can say, is he going to take care of us? Yeah, he made us to have a relationship with him. We have to consider his promises. We must consider God's promises, not our human limitations. Romans 4.19 Without becoming weak in faith, we already know who he's talking about, don't we? Without becoming weak in faith, parenthesis Abraham, he contemplated his own body. Now as good as dead, since he was about a hundred years old, and the deadness of Sarah's womb, without becoming weak in faith. What did Abraham do? He considered God's promises more important than his physical circumstances. That's what he did. Because they were past the childbearing age. And he said, the Lord showed up actually and told him, I'll be back this time next year. And you shall have a son. And Abraham laughed with God and Sarah laughed at God. And we know what happened with that. But God got the last laugh on that. What about his promises? What about John 14? What promises can you just go through in your head that are part of who you are anymore? John 14, I go to prepare a place for you and I will bring you to myself. That where I am there you may be always. That's a prophecy really of the rapture. He's talking to the beginning of the church right there in the upper room the night before the cross. And he says, I'm going to go make a mansion in my daddy's house for you. That's what I'm going to do. And then I'm going to come get you. Do you believe the promise that he said? How about Romans 8:28? We know. Paul declares from experience something he knows. That he works all things together for literally the good. To who? 
to those who love God and are called according to His purpose. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you're called according to His purpose. Okay? We know, Paul says. How do we know that? Have you ever found your life in a mess? I know most of you have never done that. But some of us have actually found ourselves in a mess. And we go, okay, how's God going to work this out? Do we believe that he's going to work this out for the good? This is the good for you and the other people as well. For the good. But what's the condition? Many promises come with conditions to those that love God. So do we love him or not? That's the test. Now, a lot of times he'll show us as baby believers, he's going to work it out anyway, whether you love me very well or not. Just as a teaching tool. And he shows us, he brings things together. It's amazing how God puts things together. There's so many promises. How about uh, Romans 8, 35 to 38? It talks about this love that he has given to us and height or depth or principality. Nothing can separate us from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus our Lord. You ever feel unloved from him? So is it more about how you feel or what he said? Because what he said is what makes the difference. And we should adjust our feelings to what he said. Now, <clears throat> how about, oh gosh, Hebrews 6, 19 to 20. I mean, there's just passages. Don't we have this hope as an anchor of the soul? What? When he gives a promise, it never changes? He's immutable. He's omniscient. means he can't forget it. Isn't that nice? So when he makes a promise, he keeps it. When we show up at the pearly gates, actually we just pike past right on through. But when we get up there, we're not going to be stopped. And he says, oh, I've changed the rules on you, by the way. You're going to have to go spend another thousand years in purgatory for I'm going to let you out of this place. That's not what is going to be said because what did he say? He keeps his word. The first thing we better do is consider Jesus. Hebrews 3.1, see, we need to consider how to stimulate one another to love. So consider Jesus, and what are we going to find? An unconditional, amazing love that's open to anybody that will accept it. Therefore, holy brethren, partakers of a heavenly calling, consider Jesus. I love this. The apostle. You were 12 apostles, other people who had a, a function of apostle as well. But it's, I love this, the apostle. He is the one sent out with authority. That's what he did. He took on flesh, became one of us, and carried out his task. And high priest of our confession. Everywhere we think we found something that uh, is different from Joe, we look at the teacher. Oh, you are the teacher? The shepherd, that's pastor. Anytime that we find this title that often is bestowed on human beings, guess when we find the the in front of it? With him. He is the definition, the walking definition. We need not to not forget what we look like after we looked in the mirror of the word of God. We don't need to forget what we look like. Now, we look in the mirror and... You know, it's amazing how we change over the years. I, I don't like to look in a literal mirror for long anymore. Uh, I, I try to look and be sure my hair's all trimmed. Uh, 
and occasionally it's not. <laughs> and that's a sad state of affairs to have so few things to take care of and not take care of it very well at times. But here is the um, looking in the mirror and then we leave and we go, oh. And have you ever looked in the mirror to see whether you got something, you know, did you get all the ice cream wiped out of your beard or whatever it is? Did you did you get it all done? And then you step away and you go, wait a minute. Step back in to take another look. Sometimes we need to do that spiritually. James 1, 23 and 24. If anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer. Now, I'd love this passage because I... I when I first got serious about getting closer to God, learning the Word and all that, it was all about hearing and not as much about doing. And then you start studying and you get hit right between the eyes of this verse. A hearer of the Word, not a doer. You can know the theology, but so what? How then shall we live? He is like a man who looks at his natural face in a mirror and once he has looked at himself and gone away... He's immediately forgotten what kind of person that he was. Hmm. We look in the mirror of the Word of God, like the passage first session this morning in 2 Peter 1, verse 5 to 7, about those qualities that need to be ours and they need to be increasing so that we can continue to grow. That's, that's what we need. We've looked at ourselves in the mirror and go, am I that? Am I growing in perseverance? Am I growing in self-discipline? Am I, am I growing in those things? But then whenever we stop looking there, we go away, we don't even think about them again. Till we come back to church the next Sunday and the pastor does that same PowerPoint deal with all the wheels and the circles. And that's actually designed to hypnotize everybody that's in here. But I'm very bad at it, so it didn't work, I'm sure. But <clears throat> we're going to look at some models now. How about the great encourager? Okay, we want to look at Jesus, the apostle the high priest, the chief shepherd, the great shepherd, the creator. We want to look at him. How about, was he an encourager? Did he declare himself to be one? Well, the great encourager, the reason it's possible for Christians to meet together for mutual encouragement is because we have someone who will lead us in the endeavor. And that's a capital S on that. He's going to lead us. He is the great encourager. You'd expect that, wouldn't you? Now, it actually goes beyond just that. It's better understood in light of an important conversation that Jesus had with the apostles shortly before his death as they were gathered in the upper room for the Passover. This, this passage, this point, blends perfectly with the Lord's table that we partook of this morning. There are several things that happened that evening that deeply disturbed and troubled the disciples. Several things. Now, in John 13, Jesus insisted on washing their feet. Now, these guys are still trying to figure a lot of stuff out. That's clear. You go through the Gospels, you read through the Gospels, and you go, these guys are clueless in a lot of ways. But the Lord, being omniscient, knew what they would become. So he invested in them. 
And he said, I'm going to wash your feet. Now I think about washing the feet. I, and, and I think about Peter and John. And sometimes, I don't think we notice this, who was given a responsibility to set up the, the, the Passover meal? Peter and John. Single them out. Notice they are brothers from a different mother. They have each have another brother, Peter and Andrew, James and John. But he picked Peter and John. And he says, now you go set it up. Why would he do that? Because they've been arguing with each other for weeks over who was the greatest. Okay? So that's why I think he just said, we're going to get you away from your old pal over here. And we're going to put you together and see if you can carry out this task. So they get in there and... The, one of the common things is to have a servant who would wash the guest's feet. Now they got it all together. They went to the upper room, found the upper room, they got it all set up, got all the food, got it all set out, ready to go. But who was the servant? Uh, another question: Who got the best seat in the house? John next to the Lord. Who got the next best seat? Peter, on the other side of the Lord. And it's kind of like, who set the placemats out? Why? Because they set it up. They're still fighting over it. I'm going to ask them when we get there, did you guys flip a shekel or what did you do (laughs) to decide who's going to get the best seat in the house? Because John got the best seat in the house. Well, they get up to do this and there's nobody to wash their feet and they're all ready to eat And the Lord gets up. He goes over, he strips down, goes over to the basin, and he is going to wash their feet. And Peter's going, what are you doing? Now, the back story is, think of the embarrassment that went to Peter and John in particular. Because they didn't supply a servant to wash the guest's feet. Hmm. Oh no, Lord, you're not going to wash my feet. We know the story. We've heard it many times. You're not going to wash my feet. Peter, if I don't wash your feet, you have no part with me. Oh, wake up call, Peter. And he said, well, then give me a bath. That's typical outrageous extremes, Peter. That's who he was. Well, give me a bath. You see, you don't need a bath, Peter. You just need your feet washed. In other words, looking at the topology and symbolism behind it, you're already saved. You just need to grow up. Okay? You need to take care of the small stuff. And so he sat down. The disciples, all of them sat down, and Jesus washed all their feet. Now, I, I want a replay of this, because I wonder how big Peter's feet were. And I wonder how dirty they were. Okay, because they walked around those sandals all the time, and those things can get nasty uh, really fast. And so, how how dirty were his feet? How big were and how smelly were they? I mean, we can go down a rabbit hole on that. But he washed their feet. Now, I don't know if you've ever had your feet washed or not by someone that is doing it to honor you. But it's humbling. Person 
getting their feet washed is humbled by it. You think these guys were humbled? A little bit. Still had room to grow, but they were humble for a little bit. Have you ever washed somebody's feet? Oh, that's a humbling experience. To be the lowest ranking servant to wash feet. I grew up in a church one time and we had a foot washing night. And everybody showed up to wash other people's feet. And it was a works-based church, so needless to say, it became a competition as to who could wash the most feet. And did that (laughs) miss the point totally? I think so. (laughs) James washed 12 feet and Jimmy washed 60. So anyway, it it was all a display of who's the best at whatever, who's going to be the ruler in the kingdom, which one of us is the greatest. Jesus washed their feet. They're just coming to realize the creator of the universe washed their feet. And that was a humbling experience. So that shook them up to begin with. Then, Jesus had revealed to John that Judas would betray him. He revealed it to John, but who did he reveal it to first? He told all the disciples, one of you will will betray me before the night is over. Da Vinci's Last Supper tried to capture that moment whenever they were hit with this issue of betrayal. One of you will betray me. Lord, is it I? Is it I? Will I be the one that betrays you? Well, Jesus, in order to show that he was a prophet and he knew what was going to happen, leaned over to John and told him it would be Judas so that they would know that all things would be fulfilled according to the word. He knew who it was going to be. The scripture tells us all along. For 30 pieces of silver, as was prophesied. So here is the, the next slap on the face, you will. First of all, none of them were humble enough to be a servant and volunteer to do the foot washing. The next thing is, one of you is going to betray me before the night's over. The fact of the matter is, all of them did. It's just Judas was the one that was most well known. But what happened to the disciples after they took Jesus? They scattered like sheep without a shepherd, according to the prophecy. That's what they did. But that's another shock. Jesus told his men he's going to leave them. Oh, they didn't like that either. They become real close to him in the last three and a half years. They had they had all camped out together. They had uh, passed out bread together. They'd done a lot of stuff and had quite a fellowship. And he said, I'm leaving. Well, where are you going? Can we go there too? Well, I'm going to my father's house. That's what's going to happen. Tell us the way that you are going. Lord, show me the way. John 14, 4 and 5. John 14, 6. I hope we know that one. I am the way, he said, and the truth and the life. And nobody comes through the father except through me. I am the door. 
into the sheepfold. That's the way you've got to get in. But Jesus told his men he was getting ready to leave, and this was a shock. But we don't know the way you're going. Yeah, you do. I've been telling you all along, for the last three and a half years, the Son of Man is going to be delivered up to evil men. He's going to die, and the third day he's going to rise again. That's what I've been telling you. And tonight is the night that all these events go into motion. And Jesus told Peter that he would deny him. Peter said, no, 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 this is not going to happen. Peter, you're going to deny me three times before morning. Three times. No, I won't. But he did, didn't he? So they were shook up. Now, that's probably the end of your notes, isn't it? All right, point D. We'll get it next week. Jesus, knowing their feelings of uncertainty, spoke directly to their confused thoughts and emotions. Now, this is telling us what he did, but it's also giving us a pattern. Whenever you're trying to encourage somebody and you're trying to help, sometimes we need to speak directly to their fears of what they are facing and what they are going through. The Holy Spirit will lead you as the Holy Spirit led him. John 14, 1-3, Let not your heart be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions or dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you, and I go to prepare a place for you. If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again. So he says, I'm going to leave, but I am going to come back. And I will receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Where's the Father's house? Heaven. Where's he going? To heaven. He's going to take his seat on the throne. He's going to prepare us a place. And one day he's going to come get us and take us there. Now, isn't that a word of encouragement? In the middle of a crooked and perverted generation, among whom we appear as lights in the world, if we're walking walking according to the Spirit and according to the Lord, that's a word of exhortation, if ever there was one. Jesus is the encourager. Now, it gets deeper in the explanation in the upper room, but I've run out of time. Okay, So you can read ahead and get a jump on next Sunday. But what a blessing this is to know Jesus knows our pains, knows our sorrows. He knows what a simple word of encouragement from somebody else can mean. And he's telling us, encourage one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, again for this amazing day that we have had together, a time to celebrate the Lord's table, time to remember you and to look forward to your coming and your, your, your return. And Father, I just pray that we will have the the right thought, speech, and attitudes. And when we don't, that you'll reveal that to us. We pray that indeed you'll give us the strength and power by the Holy Spirit to be able to stand firm in the middle of a crooked and perverted generation. For we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.